Welcome back, folks. You guys are doing amazingly well. I realise that the energy has probably drained from you. Uh, but seriously, this is our uh, last session. Uh, at the end of it, we're going to have a shot at some of those questions. We have an advertised finishing time of 4.30 and we're going to stick to it. So uh, thank you for very mu- uh, everything. Uh, by the way, thank you for those who have been grabbing some of the resources. Uh, I know for a number of you, I have to post it to you because I didn't have enough here. Uh, if you haven't got everything you need, right at the end, we're going to be packing it up. So if you want anything, can I urge you at the end, come straight to where that table is and grab me before we pack things up. Um, if anyone wanted any DVDs or CD sets, I noticed there's some of them sitting there. Some of the Bible studies are there. Um, but if, uh, if that's going to bless you, then as soon as we finish. Okay. What makes a great youth leader? Now, it's interesting what churches look for when they want someone to be their youth pastor. Uh, Most churches have three qualifications they expect the person to fulfil. Number one, that they're they're under 25. Number two, they play a guitar. And number three, they own a van. Um, Can I just say for me, um, one out of three. Um, I own a van, but that's, that's about it. Of course, some churches are so desperate to get anybody to look after the youth program, that they only have two qualifications. Number one, that, the, uh, that they are a human being. <laughs> and number two, that they're still breathing. And if you've ever been foolish enough to say, look, I could help with the youth, um, you know that you just got grabbed, everybody else ran out of the room, and suddenly you're stuck with a ministry and you don't know what to do with it. But I imagine if we had to um, interview for a youth pastor and we were writing down the qualities we'll be looking for, uh, you know, most of us want someone who's like great with kids. We want someone who's a great communicator, someone who's visionary, someone who can map out a strategy, someone who can build a team, someone who can reach into the schools, someone who can do evangelism. And, And all those things matter, but the worry is we get dazzled by people's abilities. And some of the people in our churches that are the most favoured are people with lots of abilities. And if someone's got great musical ability or great songwriting ability or great preaching ability or great counselling ability, um, we can get fascinated with those abilities and gifts. It's interesting to see what God is looking for when God decides to choose a leader for his youth group. Now, God's youth group is the nation of Israel, and I want to look with you at what he what God does. So, can we go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and I will fill you in on what's going on here. What's going on here? Oops. Here we are. 1 Samuel 16. Now, let me paint the picture for you. Um God never put a king in charge of his nation because God was always the king of Israel. And if there was a neighbouring tribe, you know, coming up the road from Mentone to invade, um, 
then God would raise up a judge from amongst his people and give him the instructions and win the victory for them. And the judge would lead the people in victory. And when they had won the victory, then that judge would really step, step aside. And the next time there was a crisis to be faced, God would raise up another judge because God was the king. But the people of Israel noticed that all the, all, all the other nations had a king and they said to God, well, all, all the other nations have got a king, you know. Why can't we have a king too, you know? We can have a royal palace and a throne and ceremonies and changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, you know. Um, and they demanded a king from God. Now, can I suggest to you, you've got to be really careful what you demand from God because sometimes he will give you what you ask for. And uh, you remember that God raises up Saul to be the first king over his people. Saul wasn't a bad leader. He did a lot of good things. But you'll probably recall he was impatient with God. He took over responsibilities that God had never told him to do. Rather than waiting for God to do things, Saul tried to make them happen himself. And so God decided to reject him as leader. And so we've got to the point where God is about to choose a new leader, and he's going to raise up Samuel the prophet to go and anoint the new leader. Now, you understand anointing, how it happened. They would get a a dead animal's horn and make sure hollowed out. They'd fill it up with some Castrol GTX, um, (laughs) and it would be poured over the person who was going to be the king. You're aware that there were two ministries in the Old Testament which had to be anointed. One was king and the other was the priest. So when the anointed one comes, that's what the word Messiah means or New Testament translation, Christ, you've already got the picture of the anointed one. You're thinking this Christ who's going to come is going to be our king and he's going to be our priest. So this point, Samuel's going to be raised up to go and anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel doesn't know who it is at the moment, but he's about to be told. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And Samuel says, but, but, but how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember, Saul is still on the throne. He's got control of the army and he's probably not going to be favorably disposed to someone else being appointed as the new prime, uh, king. No. So he says, how shall I go? Verse 2, God says, take a heifer with you and say, look, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel said, yes, yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. So you got got the scene set? The word has got around that Samuel the prophet has arrived and he's going to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be 
the king. But no one knows which son. Now imagine you're one of Jesse's sons. You, you, know, you only get one chance to make a first impression, so you're putting the power suit on, you're getting to make sure the mobile phone is on silent, you've got that knowing look in your eye, make sure you're, you're shaved and ready to go, and you're going to present yourself as the next king of Israel. So, verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Now, Eliab is Jesse's firstborn the most logical one to be the king, and he's tall like every leader should be, and he's got leadership written all over him. Like if we were going to choose a new youth pastor, we would have picked Eliab. He's like the dead obvious choice. So when they arrived, verse 6, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's uh, anointed stands here before the Lord. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You might think that how you're going as a youth leader will be judged by how good your programs are, or how many students come along, or how effective your preaching is. No, no. The Lord does not look at the things that we look at. We look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How you're going in your heart, deep down where nobody can see, matters more to God about your leadership than on any ability or skill that you have. Now, you know that when the Bible talks about the word heart... It doesn't mean the pump that circulates blood around your body. When the Bible is talking about the word heart, it's using the word heart like you would use it in this sentence. Let's get to the heart of the problem. Let's get to the centre of the problem. Let's get to the absolute core issue. So when God is talking about your heart, he's talking about who you really are deep at the inner core of your being, your character, your personality, the person that you are that maybe nobody can see, the person that you are when nobody is watching. And God says, if you want to be a great youth leader, it's what's going on in your heart that really makes a difference. So I was wondering why God thinks that our heart matters that much. So let me tell you some things about your heart. I want to show you three reasons why your heart is not to be trusted. Number one, given half a chance, it will do what is wrong. Now we're going to look at different Bible passages here. You don't have to look up every single one. Just note them down. You can check them later. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And if you're thinking, is my heart like that? Is my heart deceitful above all things and beyond cure? And the Bible is saying yes. I mean, who can understand it? Like, sometimes I can't understand my own heart. Sometimes I do things that are completely out of character for someone who is in love with Jesus. 
Sometimes I say things that are right out of character for someone who was in love with Jesus. Sometimes I look at things that are completely out of character for someone who is in love with Jesus. Sometimes I think and imagine things which are totally out of character with someone who's passionately in love with Jesus. No wonder God urges us to guard our hearts because the first reason is given half a chance, your heart will actually do what is wrong. You see, the problem, sorry, the the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Okay, got that? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Okay, that's number one. Here's a number two reason why your heart is not to be trusted. It's where every sin starts. See, every sinful action starts as a temptation. Every wrong action starts as a wrong thought. Every bit of evil in my life starts in my heart. Now, here's an obvious example from Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 28. He says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You understand that the physical act of adultery, having a sexual relationship that breaks a marriage bond, Jesus is saying that that sin actually starts in someone's heart where they commit adultery of the heart long before they carry the action out. I remember at uh, the local state high school where we are some years ago, I was uh, you know, talking to a year 10 class about uh, Jesus and challenging students that you know, if they wanted to find out more, we could do, guess what, five Bible studies uh, called Discovering Jesus over five lunchtimes. And anyway, these five boys um, all did it and I talked with each one of them and each one of them made a decision to become a Christian. So here I am now meeting with them one week after they had each individually made a commitment to Jesus. And we're going to start with some follow-up Bible studies. And as I'm sitting there, one of the boys, his name is Ben, he's in year 10, he says, Tim, you know how I became a Christian last week? I said, yep. He said, look, my mates have told me something and I just want to check it out with you uh, to make sure I understand this. I said, yeah, sure. He said, if I'm going to follow Jesus... Does that mean I've got to give up sleeping with girls like I currently do? And I said, oh, did I fail to mention that last week? Look, sorry. (laughs) I said, yeah. I said, God has designed your sexuality. He's designed it for something very special. He wants you to keep it for somebody who will be special for you. And he wants it to be something that's treasured and valued and not just wasted on any girl that happens to look at you. He said, fair dinkum. I said, yeah, fair dinkum. He said, so if I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to give up having sex with girls. And I said, yeah. Anyway, we chatted about it. He said, you know what? I didn't, he said, I didn't realise that, but now I know it. Look, if that's what it takes for me to be obedient to Jesus, I'm prepared to stop sleeping with girls to follow Jesus. I said, okay. He said, I guess if I can't actually get out and do it, I'll just have to dream about it all day. I took him to this verse. (laughs) He said, fair dinkum, I can't even think about it. (laughs) But does it make sense that every wrong action starts in your heart? 
Matthew 15, 18. Matthew 15, 18. This is Jesus once again. He said, The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. What, all of that out of my little heart? And God says, yes, that's where it comes from. You would wonder why God doesn't just give up on us. But he's promised not to do that. But there's a second problem. Why your heart matters. It's where every single sin starts. Let me give you one more. It could turn you away from God. And you say, hang on, you're just thinking, push back theologically here. What do you mean, turn me away from God? I'm saved. I'm always saved. And I'm not just a Christian. Heavens, I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> there's, been a, there's been a committee that's passed a resolution that says, once saved, always saved. I'm keen, I'm on fire. Come on, I'm a youth leader. Yep. Have you ever known of a Christian leader that's walked away from Jesus? Have you ever known of someone who was a youth leader at their local church who no longer walks with Christ? The history of the Christian church is littered with the remains of unfaithful Christians who said that could never happen to me. The four most dangerous words that any youth leader can use are these ones. I can handle it. You know, you point out to a youth leader that they're skating awfully close to a temptation and they, they, the danger lights are on. They say, yes, I understand that, but I can handle it. You point out to a youth leader that there's a wrong relationship, that they're sort of on the... On the, on the circumference of that if they go any further in that direction they're going to be in hot water and they say yes I know the problem but I can handle it it's dangerous stuff um, and God takes it seriously Hebrews 3 verse 12 Hebrews 3 12 see to it brothers and by the way that term brothers gives you the clue he's talking to Christians See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There is a verse addressed to Christians which warns them about having a heart that would turn them away from God. And if you're thinking, no, I am immune from that. I have my theology worked out. I I understand the sacrament of grace. I know that Jesus can't undie for my sins. I know, I, I, I know in that the, the P of tulip is perseverance of the saints. I know that I will get there. Well, just one more verse, just in case you are think you are standing that firm that you're not in any danger. 1 Corinthians 10 12. 1 Corinthians 10 12. So if you think you are standing firm. Be careful that you don't fall. Does it make sense why God says the state of your heart is just so crucial? It is the absolute essence of you not only being a disciple, but it's the essence of you being a leader. 
And it might just be there are things going on in your heart right now that you know are tearing you away or have the potential to tear you away from being a faithful follower of Jesus. And there might be stuff going on for you that nobody knows about and it might be stuff that you would be horrified if anyone ever found out about. Maybe now is the time, even before we go any further, to simply do some business with God. I mean, I don't know why you came today. It might have been to sharpen your skills as a youth leader, to learn some more about programming. You might maybe wanted a creative idea you can use this Friday night at your youth group. Um, it might just be that God brought you here because he has some surgery to do on your heart. Because whatever has happened and whatever is going on, God loves to see full confession and God loves to see full repentance. You see, if you're ever in a situation where what's happening in your life is not right, no matter how far you've gone down that track, there is always a right step to take. At any point in the procedure you can stop and take a right step, which is to simply go back to a God who loves you and say, I am stuffing this one up. I do not deserve your friendship. I need help so that I can turn from this. Always a right step. And it might just be the best thing you can do for the youth ministry at your church is that before God you take that step so that whatever is going on, that you come back to him. Your heart absolutely matters as a leader. So let's go to a quick quiz now on Old Testament leaders. I want to give you two Old Testament leaders and I want you to work out which one you think is remembered as being the better leader. One was King David the second king of Israel. The other is King Solomon, David's son, who was the third king of Israel. Which, what's the essential difference between them? Which one do you think was the better leader? Which one is remembered in the Bible as being the better leader? Now I can see from your eyes you're all, you're all fans of David. But just before you rush in there, let's just think about it on paper. The kingdom prospered more under Solomon than it did under David. Does that make sense? Under Solomon's reign, the kingdom was bigger. The boundaries were extended. Under Solomon's reign, the kingdom was richer. Right? The kings of the world would come to Solomon and bring their nation's tribute with them. Buckets of dollars were flowing into the Israelite economy. Under Solomon, the kingdom attracted more crowds than it did under David. Under Solomon, there was a time of peace where every enemy was defeated and every man lived neath his vine and fig tree, was living in peace and unafraid. Under Solomon, the kingdom had better buildings, that is the temple, the great building project was completed. And under Solomon... Israel became the centre of the then known universe. That all happened under Solomon and not under David. 
So if you're looking for a senior pastor, Solomon's got the credentials. All right? Attendance is up, offertory is up, and the building program is completed. That's what you want from a senior pastor. And Solomon achieved all that, not David. So why is David remembered as the better king when on paper Solomon achieved far more political gain than David ever did? Why is David remembered as being better and what's the essential difference between the two of them? Can I suggest to you the difference had to do with their hearts? Can I show you three things about David's heart and then one thing about Solomon's heart and you'll pick the difference? So let's look at... Oh, there we are. Okay. Let's look at David's heart. Number one, he is described in the Bible as being a man after God's own heart. This is Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And these are God's words, right? He says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. You've got to admit, that wouldn't look bad on your resume, would it? Like just thinking, you're thinking of a ministry career and you come here to you know, Surrey Hills Presbyterian Church with an application to be the new youth pastor, you know, after uh, John has, you know, <clears throat> been asked to step aside. <laughs> and somebody says, can you show me, have you got any references? And you say, I have a reference from God himself. And your reference from God describes you being a man after my own heart. But that is a great description. It means God wants you to have a heart that is just like his. He wants you to have a heart that is as big as his. He wants you to have a heart as loving as his. He wants you to have a heart as pure as his. And David is described as being that man. I'm watching the neurons in your brain at the moment and you're thinking, didn't David commit the odd sin or two? Do I vaguely remember some adultery and do I vaguely remember murder? Um, Okay, being a man after God's own heart doesn't mean that he's perfect, but it means that when he sinned, he asked, whoops, when he sinned, he asked God to deal with his heart. Having a heart like God's doesn't mean being perfect, but it's about continuously turning back to him. And when you turn back to him, then like David, you ask God to deal with your heart. This is Psalm 51 verse 10, Psalm 51 10, where he says to me, create in me a pure heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's the second thing we learn about David's heart, that when he sinned, he turned back to God and asked God to do surgery on his heart. Here's the third one. David's desire was an undivided heart. Do you understand what an undivided heart is? The easiest way to pick it is to go the opposite. Do you know what a divided heart looks like? A divided heart is a heart being pulled in two directions. It's like when you go for the grand final, you're cheering for both teams at the same time and telling each team to belt the living daylights out of the other team. That's a divided heart. It's not going to get you anywhere. If you want to know what a divided heart is like, just ask some young man or some young woman 
who has fallen in love with two different people at the very same time. And if someone has ever said to you, if, 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 a, if a ladies, if a young man has ever come and said, Flossie, <laughs> you are the only girl in my life. There is nobody like you in my life and I love you more than I loved anybody else. And you're going, <laughs> and then... And then that same young man races over to Betsy Joe and says, Betsy Joe, you are the you, you understand what a divided heart looks like. It just doesn't work. A divided heart will never get you anywhere. A divided heart means you're kicking goals for the opposition. I want you to imagine you're playing football, as in what the world calls football back then. Okay, for you Victorians, soccer. Okay. You are a fullback and you've got another fullback next to you and your job is to defend your goal so the ball doesn't get down to your keeper. And shortly before half time, the ball comes down to your, your, your fellow uh, fullback and rather than clearing it, he, it looks like he passes the ball to an opposition striker who's coming through, who races through and kicks a goal against you. And it's half time and you go over and you say, you bozo, what? You, you passed the ball to the opposition. And he says, well, he was me mate. I, he's, he's me friend. I passed him the ball. He said, but they scored a goal. Yeah. Anyway, it's the second half and you get the goal back. And so it's one all and it's heading towards full time. And once again, your fellow fullback gets the ball. And instead of clearing the lines, he gets the ball. And he, puts, and he turns with it and he starts dribbling towards your own goal. And you've got other defenders coming across trying to get in his way, but he gets around them, he gets in front of your hapless goalkeeper and he belts a goal into your own net, scores a goal for the opposition, the ref blows full time, opposition wins 2-1. And you go over to him and say, <laughs> you kicked the goal for the opposition. He said, I'm, I'm like, I'm a fullback. I don't get to kick goals. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to kick a goal. He said, well, couldn't you have kicked the goal in there, in their net? Why'd you kick it in our net? He says, it was easier. <laughs> Does it make sense you can't have a guy like that playing on your team? You can't have a player on your team who is kicking goals for the opposition. That's what a divided heart is. And every time I have a divided heart in my Christian life, I am kicking goals for the opposition. And so when David comes to God, this is what he asks for, Psalm 8611. Psalm 8611. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What David really wanted was a heart that was totally devoted to serving God. A heart that was not divided in any way. He wanted a heart of integrity, not a heart of disintegrity. He wanted a heart that was integrating, not a heart that was disintegrating. That's why 
David can be described as a man after God's own heart. There's three things about David's heart. Let me show you one thing about Solomon's heart. Now remember, Solomon was David's son. He was a mighty king. He was a great ruler. Many fantastic things under his influence. If we wanted a youth pastor for our church, like Solomon would be at the top of the list. He accomplished so many things. He had such wisdom. People from around the world would come to sit at his feet and to hear his wise words from God's word. But if there is a verse in the Bible which gets to the heart of his problem and shows us the difference between David and Solomon. 1 Kings 11 verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. Have you got that? His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. His heart was not fully devoted to God. It was sort of devoted. It was kind of devoted. It was more or less devoted. But it wasn't fully devoted. It was a heart of disintegrity. It was a divided heart. If I can urge you as a fellow youth leader, you've got to check your heart. Your heart matters so much. Number one, it directs your ministry. Now, have you worked out that if you do not have a heart of integrity, you can never have a ministry of integrity? Because the ministry that you have, the words that you speak, will only ever come from a heart that is right with God. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, 34. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is, the words that you say, the ministry that you have, is an overflow of what's happening in your heart. So, what's wrong with critical words? Well, Jesus says... What's wrong with critical words is they come from a critical heart. What's wrong with negative words? Jesus says negative words come from a negative heart. What's wrong with dirty words? Jesus says dirty words come from a dirty heart. He says out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. That is, what's going on in your heart right now will direct your ministry. So if you're faking it, if you're pretending, if you have a divided heart, then you won't be able to fool people for that long. You might look good for a while, you might even look like a great youth leader, but God will never see you as a great youth leader and you'll never build fruit that will last. It's got to be wholehearted. Now, Let me take you to King Amaziah. Now, you might not know that much about King Amaziah, and realistically, you don't have to know that much about King Amaziah. But you might be aware that for every one of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, that when they died and their reign was finished, there's a little summary statement put about each one of them. 
It usually just gives you the basic details of how old they were when they became king, how long they reigned for, a little bit about their family background, and then usually a one-sentence summary of their ministry, a little description of their leadership. So let's see how King Amaziah goes. This is 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1 and 2. Let's see if we can assess what his leadership was like. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Jehoiadan. She was from Jerusalem. Okay, here is the summary of his leadership and I want you to work out your assessment of it. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Have you got that? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Could those words ever be used to describe you? that you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Amaziah ended up walking away from God completely. So the Bible urges us to guard our hearts. Like if there's one thing us youth pastors and youth leaders must work relentlessly on, to work hard at, to do with all due diligence, is to guard our hearts. Because the work that God is doing in you is way more important than the work he is doing through you. The work that God is doing in you is more important than the work he's doing through you because the work that he's doing in you will be reproduced into the students that you lead. So if you want to have a great ministry... If you want to be a great leader, just before you put all your effort into building a bigger program or building bigger facilities or building a better music ministry or building a better PR department, above all that, work hard to build a bigger heart. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Because as you let God build a bigger heart in you, you will discover he is able to build a bigger ministry through you. When you let God build a bigger heart in you, you will discover that he is able to build a bigger ministry through you. I want to finish this session by praying for all of us. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me. I want to ask God to search our hearts and to change anything which is a barrier to us being the people that he wants us to be. And I want to pray using David's words. These are from Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 23. Um, And I want to take David's words and say them as a prayer, firstly for me, that God will search my heart. 
But I challenge you to take these words and pray this prayer for yourself that you might have a heart that is worth reproducing into students. So let's pray together as I use David's word from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.